Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll. Today we are privileged to be joined by the Boston Rebbe, Rev. Naftali Horowitz of Boston, primarily to speak about the brand new book about his father, Rav Levi Yitzchak Horowitz, and the book is called The Rebbe on Beacon Street. Much thanks to the Rebbe for coming down to Otsko for this discussion. And before we start, I just want to ask the Rebbe's Rishos, just so that people don't get confused between the Heintiger Rebbe and the Friediger Rebbe, if I could refer to the Rebbe in the first person as opposed to the third person, if that's okay. No problem whatsoever. So before we start, I know the Rebbe had mentioned yeah. to me, I'd like to just, to. yeah, okay, I'd like to just say a few words. It's Esar Liyakoi, before we begin this, we have to have in mind, and we've had this problem that's going on, the war in Eretz Yisrael, they should all be safe. And prior to that, just short before that, we had the terrible tragedy in Moron, where many of our brethren were killed instantaneously. And we see that during that period, who were killed were all different segments of Klau Yisrael, be it Hasidish, Yeshivish, Sfardish, the entire spectrum. And I mentioned to Rabbi Finkelman, the offer, that it's very apropos because we have to deal with Ahavis Yisrael. And if you read the book, the book deals with my father's life, that my father was able to have Havis Yisrael not only for those that were like him, but also those that were not like him, from all different segments of Klal Yisrael. So all of Klal Yisrael should be, be watched over and have HaKadosh Baruch Hu keep them safe. There's no question that of all the unique characteristics of this book, one sees the Rebbe's Ahavas Yisrael overflowing throughout the pages that Rabbi Shimon Finkelman wrote so beautifully. And the, I, I wondered, reading the book myself, how was it growing up in a house, the son of a Rebbe, but specifically the son of a Rebbe and Rebbetzin, whose doors were always open. And the book describes how the house was an open house. Well, in truth, I didn't know anything differently. So since it, that's how I grew up, so this is how I felt comfortable. But truth be told that at the end of the day, there was compensation that had to be done. For example, Leil Seder. My father had a Seder for a large crowd, 50 to 100 people. And usually a Seder is for a family for the children, the grandchildren. Over here, I grew up knowing that the Seder is for the adults. And every adult was looked on, and it was what you would call not a children's Seder where you geared to the children, but it was geared to adults. So me as a young child, you would say, lost out, but not really, because my father knew how to compensate. For example, my father had the tradition, I don't know if it came from before him, to give every young boy a Seder plate. So I was so excited that not only my father had a Seder plate, but I also had a Seder plate. And of course, getting up to ask the Fiakashis, the Manishtana, 
was also special because nobody else got up. So everybody understood that we were the children of the Rebbe. My, my sisters were the daughters and we were the, my brothers were the sons. And it was not a simple thing because it wasn't like in a normal Rebbe family, you just sit back and you, you do it, but you have jobs to do and take care of things. But we were proud to be part of the family and the Rebbe and the Rebbetson. Now, before I get into the, the Rebbe's history, which is interesting, what possessed you to engage Rabbi Finkelman to write this book now? Okay, the Rebbe's gone over 11 years. And it's a new generation. And I didn't want to have a situation even grandchildren and great-grandchildren would not know who their great-grandfather or great-grandfather were all about, or great-great-grandfather were all about. And for sure, those that weren't part of the family but were close to him, grandchildren, they know that their father is an Elochayit, or their mother is a wonderful Jewish lady. I wanted that people should remember, and I felt it was time that people should understand what happened during his years and how it happened. Now, there were books written over the years, even Bechayev of your father, about him, about his accomplishments. What makes this book different than perhaps some of the other writings that have been done about your father over the years? I asked Rabbi Finkelman to do it, Rib Shimon, on account of his way, his unique way of looking at things, and he gives what you call a personal view of the Rebbe Zatzal as far as the people that were impacted. And each person is interviewed, or he takes from articles where they were interviewed. So this is a personal perspective from many different people mm-hmm. who he touched. Right, he interviewed dozens, maybe even hundreds of people. Yeah in putting together this book. Correct. So that was a different perspective where the others were just saying over my, my father remembers or what, what other people were to- told him but not from a source. Mm-hmm. Now it's interesting, the book describes your father's history growing up and one of the things that we find in the book is that <clears throat> he was the first graduate of Yeshiva Tarvadas to become a Rebbe. He's described as the first American-born Rebbe. I read in the book that your father learned by Rup Shlomo Haiman in Tarvadas. If you, if you could talk for a moment about your father's upbringing and who were the influences in his life. Well, the major influence in my father's life was his father and his mother. Don't forget that he, grew, he was born in Boston, right by the Charles River, if anybody knows what Boston is all about, on the River Child, Charles as we call it, and he grew up in an age when there was practically no Yiddishkeit there. And there was a section of immigrants. And there was, my father didn't go to public school. My grandfather refused to send him to that, that type of education. And he grew up in many different ways of knowing what Yiddishkeit is all about. Here he, he was he alone. If he didn't go to public school, how did he get his education? They let him have homeschooling. Homeschool. Homeschool. He had somebody who was his arithmetic teacher, I think it's in the book as well, 
or taught him the major uh, skills that you need to have here in the United States. And then at the age of 13, my grandfather always strived to get returned to Eretz Yisrael where he was from. He went to a completely different world. Torah Vieira, which was of Rankatz and Legenbeugen, who technically was from the Nekanoim of Yushalayim. My grandfather lived in a Chotzer before, at a young age, where he was together with Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld and the Rabbi Dovel Tzvi Shloimelelava. It was the, what you could call from the greatest Sadikim. So he was going from a place where there's nothing to a place where you had the highest types of Kedush in our times. And later on, he, when they returned to America because they couldn't stay in Eretz Yisrael for whatever reasons, my grandfather moved to New York and he learned by Rabbi Shleim Haimid, who was a Talmud of Rabbi Chonon Vassaman, who was a Rosh Hashiva by Rabbi Chonon. was in Kamenitz by Rabbi Ochber. So he had all different segments of understanding how you do Avoidus Hashem. And that gave him the capability to understand that you have to strive in whatever situation you are, in whatever you are in contact with, to make them closer to Yiddishkeit. So other than his father, Shlomo Hyman, were there, was there anyone else in particular who guided his path, specifically his path in Chesed? Because he was able to... Shlomo Hyman was his, his, his Rebbe. Shlomo mm. was a big tzaddik, and he used to have some vretlach from Shlomo Hyman, for example, Rabbi Shleim Haimah used to say, uh, It's not the end of the world not to get shlishi, which my father always practiced. And um, he used to say, now Shavuos, night is coming. Everybody wants to become a Tamachachim overnight, overnight. But that night you should also be able to sleep. So, but he was this Rebbe in understanding Derech Halimun, how do you learn up a Gemara Rashi Toisvis. But I would say in Chesed, it was more my, fa- my grandfather and grandmother. Mm-hmm. I'll give you several examples that I did not hear from my parents. I witnessed it alone. For example, my grandmother's Chesed, how far it went. One time I was sitting in the office in Boston, and this Italian lady who was around 85, 90 years old comes in. And she asks me, am I related to the Rabbi Horowitz from the West End, which was where his section was where he lived? And I said, I'm a grandson. My father lived there. She said, yeah, your, grand, your, your father was my age. You look much younger. But I want to tell you something. We used to live across the street from the synagogue. And it was during the Great Depression. And we didn't know what we were going to eat for the next meal. And your grandmother was kind enough where in those days they didn't, weren't able to candle the eggs. Whenever there was a blood spot in the egg, she sent it over to us. And I want to thank you for it at the bottom of my heart. So this was the, not a chesed for a yid, but thinking of what you can do for someone who's a guy who's taking care of it. In the same vein, 
My grandfather living in Boston was a big kanoi at the end of the day. I was Bachar in Ponovich in the early 70s, and I had a friend, Shlemy Yosef Ovitz, who was a vision, who is a vision, and he used to go visit the Moshe of Zakanim in Vishnitz. And he came to me and told me, you know, there's somebody who wants to meet you. And I went to this elderly gentleman, and he tells me, you're the Boston Rebbe's son? I said, yeah. He said, so you're the grandson of Rapinchas David, my grandfather? I said, yes. He says, yeah, I want to tell you. In the late 20s, early 30s, I was a mishulach from Galicia to America, and I went to every single broken bed throughout the United States, and I came to Boston. And I went for a Shabbos to a suburb of Boston. And in that suburb, there was this Shainerov, who was elderly, had balabatim, Shabbos, they had a chumashir, or archayim, they had a shir gmarashi. And after Shabbos, they were impressed that I sat with them, and they said they're looking for a new rabbi. The rabbi's ready to retire. Maybe I can become the rabbi. They'll make sure to bring over my wife and my children, and I'll be able to have a position. And it sounded very, very enticing. I so said, I can't do anything before I ask a rabbi. I like the idea. And that much of Shabbos, I went to your grandfather. And after Malava Malka, I went up to his office where he, where he used to take people. I told him, I have good news. I was offered this position. And he got up out of his chair and said, Chas v'sholom. And I was taken aback. I said, what's the problem? And he told me that at the end of the day, look at this rabbi, a Talmud Chochem, an El but his children are completely unobservant. And his grandchildren already got married out of the religion. I don't want that to happen to you. And I started crying. And I asked him, what am I supposed to do? I can't do this anymore. I'm not born to be someone going from house to house, from broken bread to broken bed. He said, go to Etzisrael right away. You might have hard times but you live to see children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And I did that. My entire family was wiped out by Hitler and My entire village was wiped out. Your grandfather saved me. I couldn't give a yashakoyach to him. Let me at least give a yashakoyach to you, his grandson. This is the type of life that they lived in Boston. It was chesed, but it was chesed shalemis. Your father, in addition to his unbelievable chesed, maintained amazing relationships with G'dayli Oilam from across the spectrum. Could you talk for a moment about that? He had very unique relationships with many G'dayli Taira at a time when he was out in Boston in a midbar building Yiddishkeit, but he either took inspiration or he took satisfaction from having that unique connection, if you could talk about that, and who those G'daylum were. Well, when he started do, moving, after he moved to Boston, which was, is a medical center, you can call it the medical capital, capital of the United States. New York is the business capital, Washington, D.C. is the government capital, but in a sense, Boston is the medical center of the United States. 
They're at the razor edge of medicine. My father got his first opening to help Yidin from the Chazanish. It's mentioned here. Chazanish sent a person to, for open heart surgery just when it became available. I think it was Dr. Harden, and it was maybe the 35th surgery he would be doing. Today, they do open heart surgery uh, on a daily basis, every doctor three, four times a day sometimes. And his surgery came out right before the nine, right in the middle of the nine days. And he came concerned to my father, saying, how am I going to go to surgery in the middle of nine days? Right by Tisha B'Av, Erev Shabbos, Erev Shabbos Chazon. So my father said the same Allah that is going with his doctor a whole year will be going with you. But my father said, don't ask Send a telegram. In those days, he couldn't pick up a phone and just call, you know, uh, somebody in, 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 uh, in B'nai Brak to go over to, to the Chazanish. And he received several days later a letter from the uh, telegram saying that the same Malach that went with, this goes with this doctor, will go with you as well. The same words the that same, yeah, Basically the basically. same type of words. So it was the Chazanish. Later on, he got a very close relationship with the Panavizhirov. He used to come to Boston. And in fact, the way I got the Panavizhirov, my older brothers got the Panavizhirov, was through his relationship. Panavizhirov said, you're my host here, and we have a close relationship. I want your boys to come to me in Panavizhirov. And without even getting what you call a Bechina test, we accept your sons to be in Panovish, where it was difficult to be in Panovish, because mm-hmm. Panovish did not accept Anglo-Saxons so much. Even my father had from his youth a, a close relationship with Rebel Yishvei because they were classmates in Barib Shleim Haimin. When I did go for a Feher in Yeshiva Philadelphia, Rebel said, he has to get a test. Uh-huh. It's not going to go without a test. So my father had relationships with the Rabbonim in his youth, from his youth and someone like Ramosha Feinstein or Shlomo Zalman Orbach. He had relationships because of questions that arose in Halacha. And he spoke it over with them. And they were always there to answer him because he, they knew his reputation of someone to give for Klau Yisrael. Now, in addition to building an empire of chesed in Boston and spreading his Torah and Avodah from his base in Boston, on Beacon Street, your father later in life embarked on an undertaking that many people at his age would have been, would have shied away from. And he decided to open up a shul in Harnof, Speak about the f- fact that your father never rested on his laurels. That, at a, again, at a later age, he undertook to spread the Torah and Chesed of Boston. Well, first of all, my father was fond of saying all the time, everybody can retire, but a Rebbe never retires at the end of the day. And he had a dream always from the time that he was a Bocha. When he met my mother, he said he wants to live in Eretz Yisrael because that was what his his father strived to return to Eretz Yisrael when he came to America. 
It wasn't done because he decided to, and planned that he's moving to the United States of America. It was done, in effect, under difficult circumstances, if you can read the book. And my father always wanted to return, and my grandfather bought a parcel where he would return to, and my father's dream was to have that dream fulfilled in his lifetime. So therefore, he moved to Eretz Yisrael, and many people that were close to him in the United States moved to Eretz Yisrael and brought up their families in Eretz Yisrael, and many of them were in Harnof, where he had his base medrash, and he grew close to these individuals as well. And how was that kihila different than the kihila in Boston? In what way? Well, you have to realize one thing. I didn't live in Harnof so much. <laughs> <laughs> My brother, Baruch Hashem, runs his very well. That's Reb Meir. Reb Meir. And it was different that that was my father's talent, that he could accommodate himself because of his prior experiences where he went from Boston to Jerusalem. In the same way, in his adult years, he took care of Boston. He was able to take care of Jerusalem because you know it's a different type of circumstance. Every place is different. Just like Lakewood is different than Borough Park to a certain extent, and Borough Park is different than Boston, and Boston is different than Baltimore. In the same vein, he knew how to be able to bring a varmkeit, a ruach, and an understanding of what it means to be a toyriyid and to be an oivid Hashem. And that was very important to him. And it was different where, I would say, let's say in Boston, you won't find everybody coming to ask every single type of a question to you. They ask, you know, they ask questions that are important, let's say for married life, for maybe where to send their children to educate, where in Harnof people would come to him on a daily basis for daily questions. Mm -hmm. And he was able to have the patience and the wisdom to answer them that they feel that that was also a special question. Right, it seems like there were people who were newer to Judaism who were encountering the Rebbe in yeah. Boston, maybe more than Harnov, where yeah, maybe that was, fewer Bali Chuva and, and more of a... There uh, was more people that were what we call popularly FFBs, and he knew how to handle them because he was in that type of an environment throughout mm -hmm. his life as well. Talk, talk for a moment, going back to your youth growing up. How many children were, were you, you and your We siblings? were five children. I had uh, two older brothers and an older sister, and I had one younger sister. Right, so it was Reb Meir? No, my brother, brother Zatzal Repinchis, and then yeah. Reb Meir, and then Rebetzin Frankel, and the wife of the Vialopola Vial Rebbe, Rebbe, and then myself, and then my, my sister Rebetzin Geltzeler, who was Rav Moshe Chaim Geltzeler's wife, right. Rebetzin. What was the relationship among the children, five children, growing up in that house? Well, you have to realize that it wasn't so simple a relationship because at the end of the day, when I was growing up and I re remembered things already, my two older brothers were out of the house because they left the, the home at the age of nine because my uh -huh. father wanted to have them a chinuch, a proper, full-fledged New York type of chinuch, and they were in Tervidas already. Even as youngsters? As youngsters, and I'm a good eight years and uh, six, five, six years uh, their junior. Uh -huh. So I would say my father had his older children, he had his younger children. My older. My old, two older brothers and older sister were his older children, and I, my, uh, my sister and I were 
his younger children, and what it was like. Of course, Yom Tov, we were together. But at the end of the day, we always felt loved by my parents, as busy as they were, but we were always asked to help. There was no such thing as not helping out in their endeavors. What would you say the difference is between raising children when you were brought up decades ago to what the challenges are today? There are different challenges. The challenges decades ago was that every, every Jewish family out of town at least felt that they should be part of the melting pot of the United States of America. And people didn't, weren't so interested in having a religious home sometimes where that you had to strive for. And my parents and many other people in the, in the Boston or out of town area were moist and nefesh for that. Nowadays, the problem is, is even in the, what you would call the metro Jewish areas that there are different type of circumstances that are brought into the home through friends. And there might be even a bigger Nisayan, a bigger test for us. Because at the end of the day, your, your, your best friend's child might be a, a diff, uh, not a good influence on your child. And for whatever the reasons are, be it the internet or other types of, of items that you can they can get a hold of a go-to. And that's the biggest challenge that we have in our times. And what do you think the key is, maybe something learned from your father, that parents, grandparents could use today to instill the proper values in their children and make sure that they stay strictly on the Derech HaTayra? You have to keep open eyes, and it has to be Everybody has to educate their child to their potentials. Don't expect, if you have a boy, that he's going to grow up to be the Vilna Goyen. Halavai, he should become the Vilna Goyen. I wish everybody to have that type of nachas. But if he doesn't have that potential, don't discourage him to say, you're not, which might be problematic. You're not, your child is not worth, worth it. In the same vein, when it comes to a girl, you should all be the biggest sadekisn. But if the, you see something that is deficient, try to work on their good things rather than see all the deficiencies. That gives them a lot of discouragement. Speaking about those who influenced you, you said before that you yourself learned in Panovish. I learned in Panovish. Where else did you learn? Okay, I first went at the age of nine to Tari Vidas. Okay. I was called the baby of the dormitory. I was there with my brother, older brother, Remeyer, because they wouldn't accept me if I didn't have an older sibling. And I was there in the elementary school under the tutelage of Rabbi Pincus, who was the father of Rabbi Shimshim Pincus, and afterwards, Rabbi David Bender, who was the father of Yaakov Bender. I even had a, a classmate, Shmuel Shmuel Bender, that's a brother of, of, David Bender, of Yaakov Bender. And I had a classmate, Rabbi Matis Pincus, who was a brother of Shimshim Pincus, and after that, for Masifta High School, I went to Yeshiva Philadelphia, and after Yeshiva Philadelphia, later in Bismedrish, I was by Ponovish, by Rav Shmuel, Rav Shmuel Rizovsky, Zatzal, and Rav Shach, uh, and Rav Dovid Provowski. And you can learn things from them. 
let's say, just little items, Rav Shmuel, Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky, Zolzan, Gezut, Nishtak. I learned something from him, that, nothing more. His punctuality is always punctual. Mm-hmm. Very important. If Shachris is 7.30, be there at 7.30. From Rav Shach and Rav David, who do you think were the first people coming to the Bismedrish in the morning? Rav David used to come in around 4.30 in the morning to start learning. Rav Shach was there maybe a half hour later. As busy as they were, they were Rosh Yeshivas. Rav David was taking care of the Yeshiva. Rav Shach had the problems of Klai Yisrael on them but they always made it a point to have their private time to sit and learn. Hmm. Rav Shmuel Rizovsky, I can remember, he was probably the most popular shir you had in Eretz Yisrael. The Chazanish called him the Rosh Hashiva of Unzadar. And his shir was phenomenal. It was like a symphony. Anyone who heard him give a shir. Remember, once after a shir, the boys crowded around him, and they were going to stop Mincha. And he stopped us abruptly and said, we have to go daven. Because if you daven in the middle of learning, and you learn in the middle of davening, it's not davening and it's not learning. That's what he said. So I understood that there's a time and place for everything. So these little things over the years you learn from Gedele Yisrael. Upon your father's ptira, how was it coordinated how you and your brothers would continue the derech of your father? I know that you ultimately remained in Boston. Rameir went to... He didn't go to Yerushalayim. He lived in Yerushalayim. He, he lived in Yerushalayim, but he continued... Yeah, remember, the my brother, Rapinchas lived, lived in, in, in New York, in Borough Park. Right. My father was a very smart man. He was a Abbas Yisrael but he was very smart and very practical. So he made his decision and he wrote to us specifically because where we were, that's where we would take over. Mm-hmm. I was in Boston, I took over in Boston. My brother was in Yerushalayim, and Eretz Yisrael, he took over there. My other brother was in New York, he took over there. That was his understanding. He wasn't interested in having one person go to the other place and the other place because he knew it wouldn't be because the people in Boston were comfortable with me, the people in Yerushalayim were comfortable with my brother, and the people in New York were comfortable with him. And that's how we didn't have any questions of how it was going to work because that's how it worked. The way he decided, the way we were doing it for the last 20 years prior to his demise, his patira. But it's, it's clear from the book and from speaking to you that there's a, a, a certain achtas among the family of carrying on the legacy b'shalom. Everybody had the same goal to be mekadosh, the name of my father. Any other memorable stories of your father? Any favorite stories in the book that you could think of? I'll tell you stories that are not from the book. Okay. Special for our viewers. Okay. My father wasn't scared to give his day an understanding. For example, this is a story that you can have in Boston. There was this young man of 35 years old that came to my father. And he told him he has a big problem. He can never get married because his mother 
was married prior to his, to his birth, and she married a second time, but she didn't have a get. And he can't get married. He's basically what you would call a, a mamza. It's a problem. My father heard it and wanted all the circumstances, and he got all the circumstances. And he told him, I'm going to work on it. And he started calling Rabbonim in that area. I think it was Chelsea. It's a suburb of Boston. And he started asking questions, and everything he said it was true. And he went to Rabbi Yashiv to ask him how to do it. Is there anything that is it? It could be done. And he was Isaac in it very, very much. So one of the Rabbonim came over to me and said to me, Tell your father, the Rebbe, that our moms is our moms. What do you want? What can we do? There's nothing we can do. So I went to my father and said, You know, it's, it's a black and white case. What are we going to do? He told me, It might be a black and white case. But at the end of the day, this person, no fault of his own, is considered a mamza, and he wants to get married. He wants to have a normal life, and he wants to be a yid and have children. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but when he goes to sleep at night, he puts his head on the pillow. He can at least know that the Boston Rebbe is looking out for him, and someone's going to try to take care of him. And that's how it was. I don't think it had a good ending, but my father tried and tried and tried again to see if there's something that could be done. It's one instance. Another instance was there was this young lady who was divorced. She married someone in New York who was also divorced. And it didn't work out. And the young lady didn't have any parents. I mean, she had parents, but nobody would take care of her. She was a Baal And the other, in the family of the chos and the bridegroom was a well-to-do family. And they were procrastinating about it yet for no good reason. It wasn't like a question of monetary or anything. And she cried to my father that, I'm in limbo. Anyway, the Besner was, was schlepping their feet. So my father called up the Arov of the Chassan and said, look, there's no reason there shouldn't be a get here. He doesn't want to live with her. She doesn't want to live with him. Just give a get. End the story. Give a divorce document. And he said, and he, and he said, what can I do there? So he said, look, I'm coming to New York for Shabbos. If there's not a get scheduled by next week, I'm coming to your shul to Davin, and I'm going to go on the bima and give a clap on the bima that no one can have anything to do with this family because they're not, they're not willing to give a get. They're misarved to give a get. This young lady had a get by the next week. So these are situations where my father saw that there was... <laughs> you have to always go the extra mile. And that was his greatness. And you see that the, you, you, your father never stood on, on ceremony. No. He, the story uh, we were talking prior to our conversation about reproving Jacobs when he was a young child, and yeah. it talks about how he didn't want to go to the theater to watch a film for a school project, and your father told him not to worry, that your father will work on the school project with him, 
and sat down with him with an encyclopedia to write about right. Vice President Calhoun. Just okay. stories like that yeah. where you see I'll give you another story that's in the book about Gush Katif. Gush Katif, we know what happened there. My father was very, very upset that people were being forced out of their homes, Jewish people, like under the Nazis, Yemach Shimon, forced out of their homes for no good reason but that they're being Jewish. There was this article written by a prolific writer that said that really these people in Gush Katif, they're not our, it's not our Zorg, it's not our problem. After all, they're not what you call, call quote-unquote Haredi. My father didn't understand it because at the end of the day, they wear kapluch. They do taras hamishpocha, family purity. They send the kids to cheder. Some of the children go into koilul. They learn Torah. They learn Gemara. They learn halacha. So they don't look like us. So instead of covering the head, the lady with a tichel, we, with a shaitel, she covers it with a tichel. And this person said not. So my father wrote a letter to this prominent magazine saying that it's not right. It's against halacha. A very, very strong letter. And these people didn't know what to do with this letter. What are you going to do with a letter like that? They don't want to have a letter so, so strong by the Boston Rebbe against their publication. Uh, publication. And they're one of their main writers. So at an Aguda convention, this one of the Gedele Torah went met with my father. And I wasn't there. My father came back from the Aguda convention and told me that they don't want me to put in this letter. They'll get someone else to do it. So he says, what do you think the reason was that they told me it's not, pro it's not the right thing to put in the letter? So I said to them, I know, I know what he said. You do? We're like astounded. How do you know? He says, I know. He says, okay, I'll give you three guesses. Tell me what it is. I said, I'll do it in one guess. He says, okay. I said, he said to you, it's not proper for a Rebbe to write a letter to the editor against uh, these type of things. It's not the proper thing to do. Not proper etiquette. Was astounded, he got up and said, "How did you know?" So I said, "I know, because I know you, and I know what the person would say to you because he has his his mindset." But at the end of the day, my father didn't care about these things. That it's not the proper thing to do. If this is what had to be done to be mikdashem shemayim and to cause a, a person who has Agmas Nefesh with a whole mishpacha not to be picked up, he's going to do it in any case. Unbelievable. Any final message from you? Any other story or message that you'd like to share with our viewers about your father or just a general message of Chizik? General message, we living in difficult times. We have to have what my father had, Avis Yisrael. He was able to have his Avis Yisrael in difficult times. It was after the Churban of World War II that he was just married. He lost his father. He got married as a Yosem. My mother got married as a Yosoyma. She didn't even know her father was killed in the war. He, she had no idea at Inkling at that time, but her stepfather passed away. And they were able to build a Ba'i Snembi Yisrael, 
not only for themselves, but for Klai Yisrael. We should strive to build a Bayis Nehman Yisrael, but not only for ourselves, but for Klai Yisrael as well. Thank you very much for this visit. Thank you for honoring us with this conversation. Okay, Metzishem, we should only hear good news from us, and we should all be safe, and we should only have the coming of Mashiach Zekeinu Meher Amen. Amen. Thank you.